Father, I thank you that you are in the midst of us and that you meet us where we are. And sometimes, God, we're just in sort of a funky place. And But you can meet us there and, and you can draw us into your presence and that you can reach into our lives and, and touch the broken places and, and the distracted places in our life, God. And I know that there's been a lot of distractions for me this morning and for Ariana and some of us here that are serving. And Lord God, we just ask that you would help us to put those things aside and just open up to receive from you, Lord God, because it's not about all the stuff going on. It's about engaging with you. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, that you would open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts, and that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning. And so we pray all these things with expectation, and we pray in the one who can make it happen, who can help us to get to that place, the almighty name of Jesus. And so we thank you for this this morning. And we thank you for what you're going to do, that you're going to reach into our lives, that you're going to touch us, and that you're going to reveal more of yourself to us, that you're going to give us fresh revelation and understanding. And so we thank you for that now, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Warrior Youth, you guys are dismissed to go back. Thank you so much for joining us. You may be seated. And uh, I'd like to welcome Lee and Shauna and, and uh, the girls uh, are back in the house. Thank you. They've moved off to Mount Bellevue or uh, Baytown area. And so we're glad to have you joining us this morning. Thank you. Um, and I'm glad to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us this morning and on this beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, last week I started a series uh, called Gifts from the Holy Spirit. And I really felt like that I needed to begin teaching about the fruit of the Spirit versus the gifts from the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week I concentrated on the comparison of the fruit from the Holy Spirit versus the fruit from or the results from our sinful nature. And uh, this week I planned to really just jump into the, uh, the gifts from the Holy Spirit, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to just camp out here for another week. And just continue to talk about uh, and compare a little bit more about the gifts um, or the fruit, rather, the fruit from the Holy Spirit versus the fruit or the results from our carnal nature. And to help us understand why we do some of the things that we do. So my first point this morning is we are saved from ourselves. And it's not our fault that we were born in sin. And I talked about that last week. So if you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go back online and, and listen to that or watch that. It's not our fault that we were born in sin. However, we have a choice on, on, on whether we're going to stay there or not. And God desires to heal everyone and help every one of us to grow in our faith and then work through the, the challenges in our life to help others. And so as God begins to impart into us and fill us, then we can begin to reach out and really help other people as well. And one of the things that I mentioned last week was that we're born and conceived in sin. It's Again, it's not our fault that, that we're born with a sinful nature. And I've quoted that scripture before, and I thought, well, maybe it would be good to go back and share where that is and also talk about uh, King David, who was a great example for us, um, again, this, uh, this, this sermon title is God Uses Broken People. And um, all of us are broken. 
in some way, in some form or fashion. But the good news is we're a work in progress. And God specializes in taking broken people and restoring them and, and working in their lives where the Holy Spirit begins to pour through our lives in a powerful way, not only to touch and change us, but to touch and change a lost and dying world. So we've, we've been talking about the, the carnal nature, the sinful nature that we're born in. And, and I want to also say that there is an enemy of our soul. I mean, there's no doubt that, that there's Satan. And that Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he said, The thief, talking of Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that he takes no prisoners. And we can look around us and see people's lives are being destroyed. And uh, uh, hope is being stolen from them. And maybe uh, some of us have been in that place too, where we've been in a bad situation. And uh, it's only through the grace and the love of God that has pulled us out of those things. And so um, we need to understand that there is an enemy of our soul. And Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come, what? That you may have life in abundance, abundant life. And so I want to talk a little bit um, about our struggles. I think even though there is an enemy of our soul and there is Satan, I think most of our struggles stem from dealing with our sinful nature not so much dealing with demonic oppression or possession or things like that. I think our biggest struggle, and we'll talk about that a little bit more this morning, is dealing with our flesh. I think one of the challenges that we face are often centered around living a godly life in a fallen world. Because sinners sin. People that don't have a relationship with the Lord, they're probably not going to act like Christians because they don't have a relationship with the Lord. And, and if we didn't have a relationship with the Lord... Well, we probably act like we used to act way back then. So I, I want to ask you some questions to consider. And I, you don't need to answer these, but just think about these things. When we talk about uh, the enemy of our soul coming to steal, kill, and destroy, and then we compare that with our, our own fleshly carnal desires, I, I've heard it said that you can't, uh, you can't save a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. So, you know, a lot of the things that we deal with are just our flesh. But does Satan ever come and stick a needle in someone's arm and say, hey, here's some heroin, you need to take this? Or does Satan ever light a crack pipe for someone? Or does uh, Satan ever say, hey, listen, I've, I've set up a hotel room for you so you can go have an affair with, with someone you're working with? Does he uh, help people steal money from their company? Does Satan do those things? Why would someone destroy their life and uh, even turn their back on their own children and walk away from them, leaving them destitute. Would, would, the, would Satan do that? I mean, I think Satan would like to do these things. But you know what? These are decisions and choices that we make a lot of times. And so it's our own flesh that we're struggling with. Many times we fall into traps because we're attempting to ease the pain from the things like rejection and woundedness in our lives. And I was thinking about this um, this week, and I was thinking about uh, stories of people that I've heard where, where they are caught up in all kinds of addictive behaviors, maybe drugs and, and, or alcohol or whatever that may look like, and they, they feel bad about it. They feel guilty about it. And it, it only causes them to continue to stay in that lifestyle. Or maybe they, maybe they have to begin to prostitute themselves to... Uh, fund their habit, which only feeds that, that whole guilt and all that stuff going on in their lives. 
And so when we look at, at the things that, that cause us the greatest problems, a lot of times it's our flesh, our sinly nature, uh, our sinful nature that drives us to do things and we can get caught in this vortex, whatever that may look like. Because I don't think it's, it's our intent that we destroy our lives. But I think we get caught up, and, and, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to be going to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And uh, Ariana has read one of the scriptures that we're going to be covering today. So she's trying to get ahead of me here. All right, you're laying the foundation. That's good, that's good. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, and also Psalms 51, 6 to 11. Again, my first point this morning is God... Uh, uses well. That's a, the the sermon title is God uses broken people. My first point is we are saved from ourselves, and it's not our fault that we're born in sin. However, we don't have to stay there. So let's go to James chapter one verse twelve. It says, "God blesses us who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him." Okay, we go through testings. How many of you remember when you were in school, the professor would walk in and say, okay, you got a test, and man, we don't like this, this test. But those tests are important for us because they help us to see where we are. So if you're taking a class, you're, and if you ace the test, and you, you understand that you're getting the material, you're learning it, you're doing well. If, you're, if, you get a, if you fail the test, well, then you're not grasping some of the important concepts that you need to grasp for that class. It also helps the professor know how well he's instructing. Um, if you have two, two professors that are teaching the exact same class and one professor has uh, people doing well and, and the other professor has everyone failing, you have to look at, at what's going on there. So tests have a, a myriad of different uh, benefits for us, but primarily they help us to understand where we are and how we're doing. Um, Let's read on. Let me read this again. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. How many of you like to go through tests? <laughs> no hands? I, I don't either. You know, we don't like to go through that. But listen, they're for our good. They're for our good. So, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, verse 13... When you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So if you're being tempted, where is it coming from? It comes from our own desires that entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so what we see is there's a progression that as we begin to compromise or we begin to flirt or we begin to, oh, I'll just take a few paper clips here and there or whatever, it leads us down a path that leads to death. And that can be physical death. It certainly can be spiritual death if we, if we end up walking away from the Lord. I mean, how many people do you think started doing drugs to, to end up in a place where they died from a drug overdose? Probably none of them. But when sin comes to fruition, it leads to death. And so that's why Jesus came to save us. To save us from, from our sinful selves, for one. And to save us from uh, the things that would destroy our life. 
Jesus came that we would have abundant life. Okay, again, this sermon is how God uses broken people. So there's good, there's good news at the end of this message. I don't want you to, to beat yourself up. But I want us to understand that we are in a conflict. And a lot of times it's an inner conflict with ourselves, where we want to do the right thing, but we succumb or uh, cave into the sinful natures around us that are in our lives. So James goes on to say here, now James was a half-brother of Jesus. He was, uh, they had a different father, obviously. Jesus had God the Father, and uh, uh, James had Joseph, and, but they had the same mother. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking how it must have been really tough on James growing up to have an older brother Jesus, you know, going to school or whatever. Why can't you be more like your older brother Jesus? He always got all the answers right. But so James grows up around Jesus and how amazing that must have been. And James became one of the early leaders in the church. And I, I love this next scripture because I think it says something about the life of James. I think it says something about his heart. So let me read verse 15 again. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Verse 16, so don't be uh, misled, my dear brothers and sisters. When you read that, you, you see a man that's passionate, and he's saying, listen, I want to help you. Don't be misled. I love you, brothers and sisters. And, and he's not just talking like, like at a Baptist church. You know, you go to Baptist church. Hey, brother, hey, sister. He's talking about, you know, I really love you. You're really my brother. You're my sister. And so when we, when we talk about our relationship with God and we talk about our relationship with one another, we want to have passionate, healthy, godly relationships, real and authentic relationships with one another. And so when James is writing, he's saying, listen, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, whatever is good and perfect comes down uh, comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Verse 18, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And when we look at James or John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. And so it says here in verse 18, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. I think we could insert the word Jesus there too, because Jesus came that we would have true life. And so as we begin to yield our life and, and we receive the Lord, then we really are birthed. Our spirit man comes alive, and so we begin to really grow in our relationship. So he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And, you know, we've talked about that scripture so many times. But it's important that we understand that we are God's prized possession. This morning, as I was getting ready uh, for service, I was thinking about how performance-based our society is. But even, even though we talk about that a lot, that Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our works, we still get caught up in this performance-based and. Uh, you know, even our relationships. I think if we were to be honest with one another, I think we'd, we'd, we'd even say in our relationships that, that there's still this little thing in us that we evaluate people based on their performance. And so someone may say, well, do you love me? Even if I don't do well? Yeah, but I love you more when you, when you do well. 
I mean, we all kind of have that thing. Here, here's the point. How many men have gone out and bought flowers that are dying? They're chopped off, they're, they're removed from the source of life, and they're dying, right? And you go and give those to your spouse. It's an act of love. But, you know, you're, you're doing something, and, and then what? Your spouse is, oh, that's so wonderful. And so we, we like that. We like those kudos. And, and so we kind of have this always going on in the back of our mind, I think, that uh, this whole performance-based thing. But what we have to understand is that God loves us even when we don't perform. That God really does love us. And so, uh, verse 17, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created the lights and heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God does not change based on our performance or our lack of performance. And I think that's a really difficult concept for us to get sometimes because of our mentality and because of the world. But if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. God loves you. And it's not based on your performance. It's not based on the fact that you have some broken areas in your life or you, or you don't have some of those broken areas in your life. His love is a constant, unlike so many other things in our world that are not constant. His love is a constant. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. I think we really, really need to be reminded of that, that even when I fail, even when I stumble and fall, God still loves me. God uses broken people. God desires to, to fix our broken lives and bring health and healing and wholeness into us. Not only into us, but those that we would judge and say, look at their broken lives. Look at what they're doing. God loves them. And so God may be placing them in our path to love them back into a relationship with the Lord so that He may fix their broken lives. James 1.19, understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, that well, and that God never changes and that we out of all creation became his prized possession and that he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Okay, there's a whole series right there. <laughs> all right, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. I think this is one of the most incredible and one of the most important scriptures in the entire Bible. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. And let's look at what our soul is. And we've talked about this numerous times, but let's define the soul. Our soul consists of our mind, our emotions, our will, our intellect, our passions, our logic, our reason, reasoning, our emotions. Do you ever get emotional? Do you ever fly off the handle? And it's based on your emotions. And so the, the Lord can heal, uh, 
the, the word of God planted in our hearts has the ability to, to save your souls. That's what, that's what really needs to be saved is our emotions, our passions, and, and our, our, our logic and reasoning, and the, our will. Because as I talked about last week, um, our, our thought processes are what really drive us into action. And if they're unsanctified, if they're unholy, what is that going to cause us to do? As opposed to saying, you know what? I'm going to think on the things that are true, lovely, just, holy, righteous that, that's talked about in Philippians 4, chap, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. So as we begin to think on the things of God and as God begins to transform our life, as, as we've talked about in Romans 12, too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will what? Learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so as we begin to allow God act greater access into our life, He begins to change our life from the inside out. He begins to change our emotions. He begins to bring health and healing and wholeness to our lives in a, in a tangible way where we're not so uh, easily angered or, or whatever those things look like for us. It has the power to save your souls. Let's, let's look at 21 again. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. The love of God, the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit has the power, has the ability to save your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. And bring those into alignment with his heart and his desires for us. The things that generally cause us the greatest problems stem from our soul, our passions, our desires. Okay, verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You, well, there's a period there, okay? Let me go back and read this again. But don't just listen to God's word, period. You must do what it says, period. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So James is saying, hey, listen, get serious with the Lord. Obey. What, what have we talked about in Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20? Moses was telling uh, pleading with the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. He says, please choose life, not death. Choose blessings, not curses. Love God, obey God, commit to God. This is the key to your life. And so we see that consistently as a, a theme throughout the, the Word of God. It's a principle that that's the key to our life. Love God, obey God, and commit to Him. That's the key to our life. But don't just listen to God's Word. You know, there are people sitting in churches all over the world today that can quote you Scripture. They, they know the Word of God. But are they applying it? You must do what it says, otherwise you're fooling yourselves. This is the reason we need to know the Word of God. And so that's why we're so intent on teaching you the Word of God on Sunday mornings, in children's ministry, youth ministry, on Wednesday nights. We need to know the Word of God and apply the Word of God. So our first point this morning is we are saved from ourselves. As God begins to bring health and healing, healing to our soul, our, our mind, our will, our passions, our emotions, all of those kinds of things. My second point is it's God that delivers us from us. I think this is where the tension is. We want to walk in the power of God by walking in our own strength. We cannot do it. We can't do it. Okay, I'm going to try really, 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 really hard. I can overcome the selfish, sinful desires that I have. I'm really trying. To, we cannot do it on our own flesh and our own strength. So God 
is willing and gracious to help us overcome those things. Jesus came to fix our broken lives. I love that line in Fire Fall Down. He came to fix our lives. That we would have a, a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Him. And to save us from ourselves. Listen, if we could have saved ourselves, why would Jesus have needed to come? Amen. We, we can't save ourselves. Most of you know King, about King David, a mighty man of God. David uh, killed Goliath the giant and he killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He was mighty in the Lord and the strength of the Lord. God used him and, and worked through his life in a powerful way. He had an exceptional personal relationship with God. When you go back and read about King David, when you go back and read some of the Psalms that he's written, and the Lord did many, many powerful things for David. But David, like us, has had failures in his life. David had some very bad, serious failures in his life. And I, let's go to Psalm 51. David is writing a psalm of forgiveness after committing adultery with Bathsheba and I think most of you know the story. He, he committed a, adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, then he basically had her husband Uriah murdered. And so sent him in the battle and, and had him murdered to try to cover up his affair. Uh, that's, that's pretty bad, you know. Uh, but let's look at Psalm 51, 5 through 11. And I've been talking about we're born in sin through the sin that uh, when Adam and Eve sinned when they disobeyed God, by eating of the fruit that they weren't supposed to, then sin entered into all of humanity. So we're born in sin. Let's look at verse 5 here. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Verse 6. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. And we know that in Jeremiah, it says that God knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the womb. And so God knew us before we were even formed in the womb. And David is saying, uh, but you're, you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. We are spirit beings encased in a, a fleshly body. And sometimes I think we're fleshly bodies that happen to have a spirit. Our spirit is going to live on forever. One day you will probably die and your, your body will turn to dust, return to dust, but your spirit's going to live on forever. It's important that we understand that God knew us before we were formed in the womb. I, you know, I can't comprehend that. I can't understand that. I can't wrap my brain around that. But that's what the Word says. So, you know, we just have to believe those things in faith. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David knew what he had done, even though he tried to cover it up. And Nathan the prophet came to him and said, Hey, man, what are you doing here? You're busted. But David had a heart after God. And he said, You know what? God, I messed up. Purify me from my sins. What does he say? And I will be clean. He doesn't say, I will purify myself from my sins. He says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And the great thing about where we are today is we live in a time where Christ has already paid for all of our sins. He died for all of our sins. Through Christ, we've been forgiven for all of our sins. And so David was saying, 
Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. As we yield our lives to the Lord, He changes and restores our heart. Verse 11, don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. As painful and as guilty as uh, this process must have been for David, realizing what he'd done, he was pleading with God not to take His presence from him. And so that's why we, we talk about this relationship being a personal relationship with God. So we have His presence with us. And I don't know if you've ever done anything. You probably have where you, you feel like you've kind of severed that relationship with the Lord. Think about when you've had a, a problem with somebody in your family and there's been a chasm in your relationship. And I know what it's like to, to disobey the Lord and, and uh, you know, just kind of lose that close connection that I have with Him. And, and I know we've all experienced that. But David is saying, uh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, cleanse me, help me, purify me, wash away the guilt of my stain, the sin. And David, I think David understood God's love and grace and forgiveness probably better than most of us. Because David was able to move forward. David did not have a perfect life. And as we just read about this morning, he, uh, or talked about this morning, uh, he made some very bad mistakes. But David was a man who was able to put those things behind him, I think, and receive God's grace and forgiveness. And maybe, maybe you're struggling with that today. Maybe there's some things from your past or your life, and you're saying, man, I'm just struggling with really receiving God's grace and forgiveness. But God's love is greater than our failures. God's love is greater than our sin or our failures or any of that stuff. And I think David understood that. And so when we look at David, we see a man that, that understood that. And Paul said, listen, press on toward the mark or the goal or the prize. Forget those things that are behind you. Can you really go back and change any, anything from the past? You really can't. But what we can do is set our course toward God and say, you know what? I'm not going to drag this stuff with me anymore. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to receive forgiveness. And I'm going to press on toward the mark, the goal, the prize that God has for me. And David understood that. In fact, um, in Acts 13.22, it, it says that God removed Saul and replaced him with David. And Saul uh, it started off pretty well, but, but he had done some things and, and uh, really uh, disobeyed some of the things the Lord had told him to do. And it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And now this was before some of uh, David's failures, and I'm sure God knew that he was going to fail. But you know what? He's looking at the heart. He's saying, here's a man that has the correct heart, who, who has uh, failings in his life and, and has problems in his life but who has a heart after me. And so when we, when we think about the Lord, are we, we need to understand that God is looking at our heart. He's not necessarily looking at our performance. Oh, they did good. They didn't do so good. He's looking at our heart because we will stumble and fall. We will make mistakes. But what is our heart like? Is our heart really intent 
on serving the Lord? Are we really committed to Him? It goes on to say in Acts 13.22, He will do everything I want Him to do. Are you that kind of person? Do you have that kind of heart that if God says, I want you to do this, will you do that? Will you follow His lead? Even though David would have some serious failures, God saw his heart. God is looking at our heart. God is looking at your heart. And it's His greatest desire that we have a heart for Him and that we allow Him greater access into our lives. And you may remember last week I talked about your heart puts your life in motion. It drives our actions. A heart after God will result in individuals that God can do mighty things through. And so as we yield our life to Him, do you have a heart after God? Can you be trusted to obey the Lord? Let's compare the results from our sinful nature with the results from the Holy Spirit. Again, we talked about this last week, so I'm just going to kind of go through this. But I think it's a good reminder for us that we understand this so that we can, when we, if we see ourselves beginning to, to walk in, in the fruit of the Spirit or the results of the, uh, of the Spirit, or we see ourselves begin to walk in the fruit of the flesh or the results of our flesh, we can say, oh, wait, wait, this is not godly. I need to turn from this thing. So, in Galatians 5, 16-26, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So if we just simply allow the Lord to guide our lives and lead us, and we stay connected to the source of life, then we won't be doing those sinful things. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And so he listed here sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's not saying if you stumble and fall. He's saying if, you, if you're living that kind of lifestyle. Verse 22, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So, my first point is, God is saving us from ourselves. He is wanting to bring health and healing and wholeness to our souls. He is saving our souls, our emotions, our passions, our will, our intellect, all of those things. My second point is, it's God that delivers us from us. We cannot do it on our own. So if you're fighting, trying to fight through this thing on your own, stop. You might as well stop because you will not be successful. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can walk in the full victory of life that Christ came to give us. My third point is allow God to fill your life with His Spirit. Come on, let's just yield to Him. Let's just say, you know what, I, I'm giving up this fight. I'm just going to, I'm giving it up, God. I'm giving it all to you. And I'm going to allow you to just 
fill me to overflowing. I'm going to stop playing church. I'm going to stop playing this game. I'm just going to yield my life completely to you and allow you to infuse me with your love. The, the past two weeks, we've looked at where our brokenness comes from and what that looks like. Listen, we're all broken. We've all, uh, we've all had to deal with rejection and woundedness and things like that. But we don't have to stay there. And if we, if we really understand that of all of God's creation, we are His prized possession. When we really get that, it helps us to, to deal with walking through these challenges of life. We can do mighty things through God. Jesus recruited and used broken people to change the world. When you look at the disciples, they were a motley crew. They were probably not the best candidates. When I look at my life, I say, man, God, I probably wasn't the best candidate to, to be a pastor. I probably wasn't the best one that you could have chosen. But, you know, it's not, again, it's not based on our performance. It's based on His love. And as He begins to look down in our hearts, He begins to, I, th I think He begins to, you know, not look at all those other things, but He says, there's a heart there that's beating for me. There's a heart of love and compassion. There's somebody there that's teachable. There's somebody there that's humble. There's somebody there that's obedient. And when I find a heart like that, I can pour into that, that person because I know that their heart is for me and I know that they will yield to me. And, and Jesus, even though 2,000 years ago He was using broken people to change the world, He's using broken people like us today. The Lord wants to restore us and restore our, our lives. And God has a great plan for you. God will use our lives if we just yield to Him. And then he will begin to help us and pour into us and help us grow. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you're here this morning and maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord or maybe you had one at one point in time, but you walked away and, and God is speaking to your heart this morning, drawing you back to him. Would you simply slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. Anybody here this morning? There's no shame in that. Shame would be to walk out of this building and not receive everything that the Lord has for you today. Anybody here? God loves you. God wants to work through your life. God wants you to connect with Him and, and, uh, and press on toward the mark, the goal, the prize, forgetting those things that would drag you down. And when those things begin to flood into your mind and you begin to think that you're not worthy of God's love, just go back to His Word. And uh, his word says that of all creation, you are his prized possession. His word says that um, we're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our works. Lord God, I thank you that you work in our lives. I thank you for your great love. And Father, I pray that we would come to a place of realizing and, and not only realizing and understanding, but really keeping this concept, this biblical principle in our hearts that it's not performance that saves us. It's your grace. And, uh, and when we stumble and fall, we just simply come back and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, coming back to you and ask your forgiveness. And, and like David, that we would just say, God, just wash my heart clean. Wash the stuff from me. And I know that your forgiveness is complete. It was paid for all on the cross. So help me to just 
forgive myself and move on. This morning, Ariana is going to lead us in a worship song. And if you like prayer, if you have a prayer request, I'd love to pray with you. If not, let's just enter into worship and say, God, is there anything else you want to say to me this morning? The lyrics in the song, I love this, this song. I want to sit at your feet. I want to drink from the cup. I want to be close to you. This whole song is about intimacy with the Lord. And let's continue to press into that because that's the only way we're, we're going to get through some of our challenges. That's the only way that we're really going to live the victorious life that Christ came to give is to continue to press into that intimate place with Him. Lord God, I thank you for such a wonderful congregation. I thank you for your great love. And Lord, I pray that we would have a greater desire to press into that place with you and remain there, that, that it would become a priority that we spend quiet time with you on a regular basis, not as a religious obligation, but as a desire to spend time with, with you because we have that intimate relationship. And Father, I pray that as we go from this place this morning, that you will continue to work in our lives and give hope and strength and encouragement to us, but also lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to share that hope and encouragement and love with those who you bring across our path. So we pray all these things with thanksgiving and expectation in Jesus' name. Go out and make a difference in your world. God uses broken people to change the world. Go out and live it.